Left. Right. Yo, what's up? First, I'd like to thank you for joining us on Sip Talk. Today's episode is one about climate change. Uh, we're a bit all over the place, but I think the message is pretty clear. And uh, listen, let me know what you think, and I will see you on the other end. Thanks for joining. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Thank you for joining. Welcome to Sip Talk. This is episode 78. My name is Justin DiGiulio. I'm joined by James the Bosnator Boswell. Today we're talking about extreme weather, global warming, climate change, and Texas. Uh, so James, you, you were just right off, off air. You were telling me about what's going oh, on in Texas. I want to lead this off with the accident that just happened, actually, where <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, which is all of you, um, I, I, when I send text messages, I oftentimes do it through a browser instead of my phone because I can use the keyboard to type instead of having to use the stupid keypad on my phone. Um, and there, this is a bad habit of mine, but I, very often will accidentally respond to somebody else when I get a text message. So my brother sent me a text message today and I responded to Justin when I meant to respond to my brother. And my response was, and I quote, he is unrelenting in his shittiness. (laughs) Justin immediately responds. Ted Cruz. (laughs) Which was the right answer. And, and we, we weren't. And there even... was no context. It's like this is not like I was in the middle of a conversation with Justin about something. This came out of the blue, and he's like, "Ted Cruz?" I'm like, yeah, actually, um, that wasn't meant for you, but good guess. But to be unrelentingly shitty, <laughs> you must, you must, un, you know, it must be Ted Cruz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about some extreme weather. I'm actually in this new setup in the basement, which is nice because there's a lot more space, bit of an echo. Um, but it's cold as hell down here. And, you know, I, I can't imagine there's such thing as global warming being that, you know, I, it's, it just seems to be cold out and it's, it's never this cold usually. Um, and I wanted to, I definitely want to get into the global warming, warming thing. I want to talk about uh, Greta Thunberg and uh, some more progressive countries, things like that and climate change. But so we were just telling me off air what, ha- what was happening with Ted Cruz who decided this week it's very cold in Texas. I'm going to fly to Cancun. And he, and he booked a flight for him and his family to Cancun. He gets on the airplane and people from Texas. So there's a lot going on here. People from Texas took a picture of him boarding into, I would assume, first class and shared it all over the world. Well, this is Ted Cruz. You know, he, he needs a little extra space in the seat. He so, can't just fly. Yeah, but... This, this image gets shared by the time he lands in Cancun. This is already a news story. <laughs> and so he like the backlash is so quick that he basically immediately got on a plane back home. Um, now, what I think there's one point that I saw on Reddit, which is imagine being so shitty that people leaving your state will take a picture of you on the same flight as them <laughs> yeah. to, to show how shitty you are. 
Um, I mean, it's, it's, it, that's like when Chris Christie in New Jersey shut down the beaches and then went to the beach with him and his family. And mm-hmm. it, somebody was taking pictures of him just on the open beach. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a bad look. Just, but how do you justify it in your head before doing it? Like, hey, we got the beaches open, family. We shut them down. Like, let's go. Um, hey, our, our state is in crisis. Let's go on an international trip to somewhere warm. Which, I mean, I understand the thought, but I don't understand the thought process. Like that thought should be, you know, it's like, oh, I, you know, I really got to take a piss right now. Let me just whip it out and pee. Versus like, well, that's probably not the best thing to do, even though at times I'd like to going to find a bathroom and do so discreetly. Also flying to a place that just kind of has a reputation for being luxurious and pampering while you're a public servant who, whose state many, many people are suffering. Um, I saw a great conservative attempt at justifying Ted Cruz's action saying, we should be thanking Ted Cruz for doing this by, by him leaving the state. He's no longer like draining resources on like, he's no longer taking up resources that can be allocated to somebody else. I'm like, do you really think that that's. that's What's he draining the electricity? I I Um, guess that that, that's their justification is like by him not being in Texas, there's more electricity and water for the people that really need it, which come on. Like if you're a public servant, go out there and like volunteer at a food pantry and like hand out some free shit to people that need it. It's, it's, it's basically a politician's uh, example of like a gimme where you've got a one foot putt that you need to make. (laughs) It is. So let's hit the important stuff. What are you drinking tonight? The last bush ice on hand. I finished off the scotch last night, so I'm starting to run pretty dry, but I should have a good bottle of whiskey coming my way over this weekend for helping fix my buddy's taxes. So, you know, very nice. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, you know, when you do somebody a favor and you're paid, even though it is your profession, you're paid in liquor, uh, which probably I should remind some of you, if you're watching, listening, that you probably owe me a bottle. Um, During tax season, that's pretty much how it works in the office too. Like, yeah, they give me wages, but they might as well pay me in liquor. <laughs> as long as you don't fuck up some of these taxes. Uh, so, Cheers to episode 78, and let's get into uh, the extreme weather thing. I'll get into the extreme weather. I want to talk to a little all bit. those of you in Texas. I'm having my beer warm, just so you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it would probably be colder if it was room temperature in Texas. Yeah, I know. I'm rubbing it in. So, um, but uh, what? So, global warming, you know, I was just doing a little research on global warming. And what I keep hearing is how global warming isn't really a thing anymore. We're, it's, it, so if you're, if you're a global warming activist or alarmist, you've given that up because people are pushing back saying, how can we have global warming if we're getting lots of snow or if it's so cold? So it's happened to be snowing yeah. today. And Look, can we stop this for a second and just like rename the podcast Two Dudes a pine on things in which they have no background whatsoever. <laughs> I thought that was involved. You know, the, the drinking was, you know, implied that, that, you know, we would maybe carry topics that we may not know so well. But I, I mean, I think for the most part, everybody in our generation is familiar with climate change, formerly global warming. And they, so the global warming activists have dropped the term global warming, and now they're climate change activists because climate change can't be denied. 
you can deny global warming just based off the fact that maybe it's not warming or it happens to be cold out in this moment, but they're getting less, can, they're getting more traction with the climate change. Well, yeah, but you can't even deny that global warming is happening. You can look at the like, historical records and see a clear trend. Well, what I found out was there was uh, a series of papers that were published in the 70s and they predicted cooling temperatures. Now there was also, and so uh, global warming, people that argue against global warming cite these articles often. And during that same span of time, there was a multitude more of papers that were written predicting the temperatures will rise. And of course, now we have the retrospect to look at the data and obviously temperatures did rise and continue to rise. But people who argue against global warming typically cite these papers that were written in the 70s where we were predicted that we were actually cooling or going to cool. So hold on. So of those papers written in the 70s, what percentage of the papers said it was going to get warmer and what percentage of the papers said it was going to get cooler? Where was the consensus? I, I believe it was, it was like under 10% that said it was going to get cooler. Okay. But nonetheless, there were papers that were published. And I think just citing papers that were published is kind of denying, and we've talked about this before, the scientific process. The scientific process is you don't believe anything and you test it and assume it to be true as you are unable to disprove it. Well, it's, 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 you're always looking for some way to disprove what is currently believed. You're constantly testing to see if you can find holes in the current theory, because holes in the current theory will allow you methods to be able to refine your tests and get a better theory. But so just because in the seventies, there were papers that were, published in what I would have to assume were legitimate scientific articles or um, journals. Like you have to say, okay, there's always going to be a dissenting opinion and there's nothing wrong there. But overall, if the scientific consensus was 90 to 10, then the overwhelming likelihood is that the 90% are right. How right are they? Well, time will tell. Time will tell. But it's is that the 10% are 100% right or more right than the 90% is super slim. So I, that's, that's scientific cherry picking of data. For the people that are trying to deny that climate change is happening and saying, well, in the 70s, we thought it was cooling and now we think it's warming. Well, no, in the 70s, we didn't really think it was cooling. 10% of scientists might've had some slight misgivings about the global warming theory and wanted to poke some holes in the theory here and there. But the consensus was it's warming and now Instead of 90 to 10, it's like 95.5 or 99.1 or 99.5 to 0.5. And that's exactly, exactly the case. And science has gotten a lot better since the 70s. Mm -hmm. So it would be best to cite more recent data and more recent studies. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that's, that's bullshit to cite like, you know, like I, there's often times in the office where I tell somebody to do something and they're like, no, but you know, last time you told me to do this or, you know, you, and I, I just, I say, look, if you're, if you, if you're claiming that you're always going to obey me and I told you in the past to do this, but you're arguing with me because you're trying to obey me in the past, <laughs> you want to go with the obey route. And this is the more current advice. 
So go with you know the advice now. We now have more information. You should definitely do it this way. Here's it's- another extreme example of like cherry picking data or whatever is if you were to take financial advice from somebody and you say, if you were to ask some random person on the street and probably most random people on the street, you say, is buying lotto tickets a good idea? Is that a way to make money? Almost everyone's going to say, no, you're not going to be able to seriously make money buying lotto tickets, but go find somebody who won the Powerball and say, Hey, is buying lotto a good way to make money? You're like, fuck yeah, dude. Like I got 600 million. You want some? So it's yeah, we're, we're if you the find first... the one the one edge case where it's true and ignore all the other cases that aren't. Well, first off, let me just they're not gonna say, yeah, I have six hundred million. Do you want some? They might say, Yes, I won six hundred million. <laughs> Stop bothering me. If I won six hundred million and someone came up to me on the street and didn't know who I was and said, Do you think buying lotto tickets is a good idea? That's exactly my response. Like, here's a hundred bucks for asking me that question, man. You think that matters to me? This is going to make your day. And it's also going to make my day because now I have a story to tell. Fair enough. Um, you know, when I, when I was like eight years old, one of our school trips, we went to the Capitol and I asked one of the senators for a million dollars. And one of the parent chaperones heard me and like pulled me away from the senator. What? I was like, Come it, on. it was worth a shot. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, you know, we grew up in a pretty, uh, would you say it would, it's a more left-leaning area? Nope. I, I don't, nope. I don't think so in Red general. Rensselaer County um, votes pretty strong Republican actually. But, you know, I feel like we were raised with a lot of kind of some liberal values. Yeah, but that's because I think you, I think your mom growing up was much more liberal than she is now. Oh, yeah. I would say so, but I mean like recycling and uh, that was, but that's teachers and teachers generally tend to be more left-leaning and my family is super left-leaning and you were basically an honorary member of my family for most of your childhood. (laughs) Um, I haven't given that up. Uh, It's it's day by day. (laughs) So, but yeah, I think like we did a lot of recycling and stuff. So I've, uh somebody came came to the house and they're like oh do you guys recycle here and i'm like i, I we try not to but yeah put that that goes <laughs> <laughs> and they were like what do you, and they started laughing they're like you try not to i'm like oh shit i guess that sounded really bad <laughs> like i it's it's a huge hassle to have to carry out obviously gazillions of bottles and 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 cans um but but we do and it's a pain in the ass but i'm just inclined to recycle as much as possible and i just to me it just makes sense and it's it's almost if you like, can reuse something why not well the, for, to, my thinking is it's when you change lanes and you don't signal like that's just you're just being lazy right like when you don't lift the toilet seat you're just being lazy when you throw the can in the garbage can where you don't separate the paper you're just being lazy. And all of these are kind of dick moves. So there's many things that I do that I kind of stop and reflect on. And I'm just like, that's the lazy route. Let me take the extra half second. And it's just going to make me a better person. And, you know, I'll have that on the next guy, at least. (laughs) I'll keep that chip on my shoulder and know that there's things that I do that that other people don't do. But I think like basic stuff like recycling, super, super important. Now, where I'm going with this is that I don't think I'm going to change the world 
by being reluctant to buy a, an electric car, which we've talked about in a different episode, um, and recycling here and there. Obviously, it's going to take some greater change. That's, that's not me. Obviously, maybe this podcast, somebody will listen to it and they'll decide they want to start a, you know, a safe nuclear power plant in, in my backyard. But I, I'm just saying I'm too apathetic for that. But there are people that are stepping up. And I think that's a good thing. And I definitely think, obviously, you take each person and each of their statements piece by piece and decide if you want to side with them or have their back or follow them. But I, I'm very interested in this Greta Thunberg. 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 Yeah, it's she's Swedish. Yeah, a hard T. Hard T. I'm I'm a fraction Swedish. I love Swed Swedish culture, um, and I, I find it a very fascinating country. I think they're very progressive. Uh, I did I tell you I visited there a few years ago? Yeah, you told me that Copenhagen was not Copenhagen. Um, Stockholm was super expensive. It was well. It's very expensive and. Uh, eating obviously when you're there you want to like eat out and explore um, they they tax very highly alcohol which is basically as a deterrent to being an alcoholic like if you look at a lot of these countries that are super far north that I'm guessing it didn't work for you <laughs> well it hit my bank account but it <laughs> <laughs> maybe deterred me from visiting uh, you know more often but um but it's dark for many, many hours out of the day because obviously the Earth's tilt. Only half the year. Only half the year, exactly. And then as the Earth tilts back, then it actually gets an increased amount of sun. So you may have sun for 18 hours a day. Um, and then even in the far north at nighttime, it may not get like pitch, pitch black. Which well, you is get above the Arctic Circle and the sun just doesn't set. Exactly. There's a movie. But then there's also times where the sun just doesn't rise. <laughs> well, and that's... Yeah, that's, that's how it works in the winter and the summertime. And, um, but either way, very progressive country, very cool country. Uh, one thing I found out about Stockholm, and I was staying in Stockholm. Uh, actually, I rented. So the very frustrating thing is I rented a car, and then I had GPS. But I had downloaded, it had some downloaded old map. And where I was going was too new, and it wasn't on the map. And I had no cell, no cell service, I'm completely confused, very, very lost, driving around in snowy Stockholm. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun trip, though. Um, but one of the cool things I found out about Stockholm, very big on recycling. They, a lot of the homes, so this is an interesting fact. Um, one of the homes I visited was heated by the, the ground heat from the earth. Geothermal. Geothermal heating. And it the the home basically keeps about the same temperature year round without using fossil fuels or electricity to, to really heat the home. So that was pretty cool. Another thing is that they have public, um, public waste systems. So you use a public waste facility, like a garbage can or something like that, and it's vacuumed out and to a common, uh, common area to be pulled out by trucks. So I, I don't know. I thought that was, that was a pretty cool thing. Um, so let me touch on Greta Thunberg. You know, she's 4'11". Uh, I knew she was like 16 or 17. Sure, but she's less than five feet tall. Okay. That's wild. That's very short. 
close to close to being um, short enough to be disabled in this country. I think it's four seven or four eight. Well, it's only a few, but I, I thought that was fascinating. Obviously she, she got her start as a young girl at like 15 or 16. I think she really became popular in 2018. And when she took like the sail sailboat from Europe to New York to speak at the UN. That's when she got a lot of fame. Mm. Cause so, she didn't want, she wanted to come speak at the, at like the UN convention about global warming or whatever. And but she didn't want to like have any emissions associated with her trip. So she took a sailboat and it probably took like three weeks. That's weird. Yeah. She could have just gotten on a flight that wasn't fully packed. You know, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, you, you but tell her that. <laughs> I mean, it's going anyways. So, <laughs> but, uh, but she, it, she used to take days off of school and she would protest in front of the, the Sweden parliament buildings and say something, basically her protest was like, kids are going to skip school until you, you know, strengthen your, uh, you tighten your emission standards as a country and, and, and things like that. And they did. And she became really popular. She was in, so here's, you can stand outside of any parliament building with a, with a well-worded sign and you're not going to, it's not going to take you anywhere. You might get a, an interview, something like that, but have you ever been interviewed by the news? You ever had like a camera just ask you questions? Um, no, not really. Okay. Well, typically, especially if it's never happened to you before, you freeze up a little bit and it's very difficult to be well-spoken and kind of cool, calm and collected when it's this new experience and the, you have a reporter sticking a microphone in your face, kind of a heightened scent of uh, anxiety. If you're not used to being in front of people or having to speak publicly, I can see it. Exactly. But she, but as a young girl, she was like 15 or 16 years old and very well-spoken. What she said, definitely that message must've landed very well with to whomever it was, it was hitting on the news and I'm guessing in Sweden, but maybe it went internationally. I don't know. And then uh, she kept rallying the troops and bringing more students on and they were boycotting school. Um, and uh, cause that's a tough sell. Hey, teenagers do you want to go to school well i mean if you're if you're picketing outside a par, if you're protesting outside of parliament and you're like yeah we're we we're the kids and sweden's a relatively small country um you know we're your future uh parliament and we're not going to learn anything more but we you know but we do know that you're what you're doing is bad for the environment but i you know i'd really like to kind of i i i know very little about her um except that she's hated by a lot of Republicans. Which means that naturally she must be doing something all right. <laughs> but uh, um, I'd really like to know where she got this passion. Like something, you know, something must have happened in her kind of developing years with her parents or something at home. I think, I think what happened, and I, I know probably as much or less than you do, but I, I heard a couple, like, in 2018 when she really kind of got famous for a brief period of time um she talked about how she views global warming climate change whatnot as like a true existential threat that could threaten to end humanity and i think especially if if she started to come up with these ideas when she was 13 14 15 or whatever that's a time in your life when you're really impressionable and like an idea can kind of sink in and you can really dig into it 
and kind of just say, this is what I believe in and I'm going to stick to it regardless of whether or not it's completely right. Cause and I think she's right on a lot of things, but I, I think the, the, the problem is that how, how extreme of a problem is it? Is it really going to threaten all humanity or is it going to be a mild inconvenience or somewhere in between? And Whoa. that's where the debate really lies. But when she looked at it as this is going to be a threat to me and possibly like my, my kids where we might not be able to exist on this planet anymore, then she looks at it as like in a similar way to if an asteroid were heading to Earth right now. I and we said in a month from now, here's an asteroid. It's going to cross paths with us. So we should really do something about this. Because in, if in her mind, in her mind, the, the humanity killing asteroid and pollution, fossil fuels, carbon emissions, exactly the same, which for the sake of her argument, her position, I'm cool with that. Like, fine. But obviously, anybody that looks at it is like, well, it's, hey, dummy. Hey, little girl, it's not the same. So right. it's, it's difficult. You know, you, you have to understand her position to be like, okay, fair enough what she's saying, but it's not the same, but let's treat it like it is the same because, you know, for the sake of the conversation, that's the right thing to do. And that's one of what I was going with when it's like, is it time to recycle? You know, I don't want to recycle, but I just do it because for the same reason I pick up the seat when I go to take a piss, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Hey, so real quick, Justin. So my brother's trying to log into the stream right now just to watch us and he's having trouble. So that might mean that other people are having trouble watching us as well. You want to check and see if things are up and live. Uh, I have live across, across the platform. So okay. uh, if you guys are having difficulty catching us live one, don't forget, you can go to YouTube, you can subscribe on YouTube or you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple podcasts, anywhere else you get a podcast. But when we do go live Tuesday, Thursday nights, 8.30, you can catch it on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I don't know what platform your brother is on. It, everything looks fine to me, and I'm streaming all offline, pulling the, uh, the data through the cell. So, And I have, we got some comments saying they're good. So thank you guys again for joining us live. This is my little shout-out to subscribe and follow Sip Talk Podcast on YouTube and obviously the audio podcast platforms. We're working on the audio. I'm hoping today's audio is a little better than some past audio. Um, but yeah, so. Okay, so yeah, back to the topic. And well, just check your me, chat real quick. Um, so let me, uh, uh, some of the things when we were kids that were big, obviously dare, dare to keep kids off drugs, the whole anti-drug campaign from the 80s, early 90s. We all had those shirts that said dare diagonally. I remember I, for whatever reason, second grade, I remember recycling was a huge push. Yeah. And that stuck with me. Um, but I remember, yeah, recycling to me just seemed like the biggest thing that we were kind of indoctrinated with. Um, but recycling, but there's also other things. Do you remember that there was, and they were all like PSAs, that PSAs were much more prevalent at the time. But do you remember like the plastic bag one where, no. yeah, like if you, you know, they, they were afraid that kids would, suffocate with plastic bags so the plastic bag was a was a big one and then there was also like power lines became a big one um recently over the last five years or so it was uh straws so new york city has actually banned plastic straws if you ever watch this video of the turtle with a straw in his nose also the the uh plastic that comes on the top of cans you had to clip those before you 
Oh yeah, I, I still do that. Well, you know, it's funny because it was a big thing for a little while. And I watched, uh, I think the movie was Can't Hardly Wait. I put it on last night when I was falling asleep. And there was like a hippie girl at the party, like going through the garbage and pulling out the rings for the, the cans and bottles and clipping, clipping the rings. And that was, at the time, it was a prevalent thing. Nobody yeah. directing a movie now or writing a movie now in 2021 would think to include a scene like that, unless they were doing a period piece about the, the late 90s. And that would just be a great detail to add. So here's something I want to address that just came to mind when you were talking about like the equivalency of an asteroid is going to hit the Earth in a month. And we have to act right now to be able to steer the asteroid away or whatever, right? Mm. Versus global warming, which not going to destroy the earth in a month. But for, for people that are really fervently behind making changes to the way that we conduct ourselves as a civilization, I think that they do kind of draw an equivalence there between asteroids about to hit the world, global warming, about the same. So the question sure. is, I think that that's a flawed argument, but... The bigger question is, is using a flawed argument that ultimately results in positive change and positive action a bad thing? Well, so, but here's, here's the, the important, the only important question is who's going to do it? So you got Greta and you got Elon, Greta's taking care of the environmental, global warming, climate change, and Elon Musk is taking care of, because first off, it's Elon Musk is not out there looking for asteroids right but he's the only one who's going to have the funds to be like oh like i don't want to be on earth while it explodes from an asteroid hitting earth so i'm going to develop some technology or get us to another planet so who are those people i actually i'm going to pull this up because i got um on the ipad here i got uh i track out the asteroids every once in a while i just log in and look at oh shit maybe it's not on here and i just look at the the uh things that are hurling towards earth and they actually track that i forgot the website it's not on there right now it's a good thing they do <laughs> i think it's a great thing they do too somebody's looking <laughs> at them but also once we find them the people that are searching for them these are a bunch of geeks looking at telescopes and looking at giant obviously telescopes but they're not the people that have literally anything to do with the people that are developing like the aeronautics and the, you know, whatever it is, it's going to launch us to, uh, to other planets. And, and, and even if we don't go to other planets, we're going to shoot a fucking nuclear bomb at an asteroid and, and Armageddon. I've watched a couple of videos about like, what if scenarios of we discover an asteroid that's about to hit earth and we've got enough time to react to it. What do we do? And basically I've like, all of them were like, there's not a lot that we can do with our current technology. Well, in a lot of now, ways we're kind of screwed. Now that we found out Bruce Willis is a raging Republican, I think just like raging Trump supporter, really, uh, I think just like in Armageddon, we send him up to the asteroid and just let him leave him there to deal with it. Worst case scenario, we're slightly better off for a month. Um, no, I, I always, <laughs> I always, I always like Bruce Willis, even though he said. Uh, what is it? Die, Die Hard to me was always a Christmas movie. Recently, you know, he kind of went on this rant, uh, kind of super right wing rant. And he also threw out there that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, which I mean, it's I it, haven't seen it. So it's still close to my heart as a, as a Christmas movie. Um, all right. Uh, let me just hit one more thing on Sweden. Sweden burns 99% of their waste, apparently, to create their, their energy. And they actually consume waste from other countries 
Um, and yeah, I told you about that vacuum system for the garbage. How I think that's imagine if New York City had that. That would be right now because of the snow in New York City. There and and now that there's snow on top of that, there are mountains on the streets of garbage because they weren't collecting the garbage and there was garbage there. And then it snowed and they put more garbage there and then it just snowed again. So you have, well, I mean, temporarily you don't have any garbage. You, you just got big piles of snow. You have 13 foot mountains of garbage, like outside your front door. It's disgusting. And luckily it's cold because in the summertime, in the summertime, it, the streets leak. In New York. You're doing a really good job of selling <laughs> New York city these days. There's nothing else like it. There's nowhere you can go to hang out with homeless people. And, uh, speaking and of recycling, it's like, sharing needles great idea yeah that's a really you should definitely you shouldn't waste needles you should you should always reuse them <laughs> terrible idea which so like it's i always hear all these um these people coming out about uh people overdosing on drugs and things like that and they're like oh we need to have we need to set up needle exchanges that way our local drug abusers get clean needles and don't run the risk of getting AIDS and well that's actually that's actually it, a good it, idea believe it, it or is not a very, obviously well not obviously it is a very good idea because at the end of the day these people are doing drugs one way or the other um but it's you're called acting, harm reduction you're 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 yeah exactly you're reducing you're reducing it's just like seat belts um you're reducing the harm that's done by the people that are using the drugs however Darwin would argue that we should just let them use dirty needles and they'll take care of themselves. The problem is that the Darwinist argument would only work if they were only harming themselves. But if they are like, if they have HIV or whatever, then there's a chance that they're going to infect somebody who's not partaking in that behavior, or they're going to cause, cause other societal harm. And you've got all these externalities that you, you sustain. Okay. You're right. <laughs> um, so, if we want to make a Darwinist argument, since we're on this topic and since we're talking about everything but global warming and our global warming, I'm just episode, I'm about to hit sea level rise. So, no, oh, but got? the Darwinist argument for me, whenever I hear about people getting fertility treatment, I think that that's just spitting in the face of Darwin. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I don't believe in God, but I do believe that like if you can't have kids by doing it the old-fashioned way, that's God telling you you shouldn't be having kids. <laughs> um yeah that i'm sure that, everyone that, in the comments is going to love that opinion but that won't land well james <laughs> however it lands squarely with with you know darwin theory so um <laughs> but that won't land well um also i just had to get that out there since you threw darwin out there i'm like you know what let's make some friends <laughs> well yeah it, it is it is our podcast it's, you know that's <laughs> it's just how it goes sorry guys any uh, comments on that by the way no nothing nothing yet um <laughs> so uh all right so let me uh let me hit sea level rise so obviously i mean i it's just i to look at the maps of the polar ice caps and just over the last like if you do like a 50 year time lapse map it's like ice, 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 baby, ice, 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 ice. And then all of a sudden it's like a little bit less ice, a lot less ice, like barely any ice. And it's, uh, it's, it's wild. It's didn't a whole bunch of people just die because they were out on, uh, they're out in a glacier and the glacier like broke off. So this was in India, 
Yeah. Okay. And you know what I'm talking about. Like, I think what happened was like the glaciers melting, and then like there's ice further down that's holding the meltwater back. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's basically just a naturally formed ice dam. And then eventually that ice dam gives way. And now you've just got a lake's worth of frozen water and now mud and trees and everything else just coming down a canyon to whatever's below. And eventually it will find people, which it did, and it doesn't end well for them. So the question is, is that something that's naturally occurring? Is it because of global warming that it happened? Or did global warming make events like that more prevalent? And you can look at pictures of um, places like Glacier National Park in Montana and look at the size of the glaciers in 1950, 1970, and 2015. And it's big glacier, big glacier, 2015. Nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. It's so, and the thing is, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not so like it, it stuff really started speeding up in like the seventies and the eighties. But if you go like 1800 to 1900, nothing. not much changed. You go 1900 to 1930, nothing. Nin- obviously we didn't have satellite images back then, but I mean, your property lines and people, you know, things were mapped out. Um, 1950 nothing 1960 nothing maybe a little but i don't think anything 1970 is where you first start seeing this stuff and this is where that kind of this probably why they were coming up with studies and writing papers about predictions whether it was warming or, or cooling and then 1970 you start seeing it happen and then it just speeds up really fucking fast it's a and parabolic curve it, it, that's exactly what it is and then yeah and you look at the last three or five years and you're just like holy fuck like obviously something's happening um but with gla- with glaciers melting the polar ice cups melting you have sea level rise and that's very bad for places like new york city or, or charleston or charleston south carolina which used to flood insane um we at certain times during the year during when when like we have king tides where the sun and moon line up we can have several streets downtown flood on a sunny day. We can go three weeks without rain and then have flooding on the fourth week that doesn't have rain. Yo, but when it does rain, the street, I mean, the streets are underwater, just deep. Like you can't drive, we would drive the Jeep through them, but you couldn't drive either one of your cars through them. Nope. Uh, it's, it's It's really wild. Um, and then, uh, New Orleans, New Orleans is, uh, New Orleans is below sea level. Yeah. Well, it's below sea level to begin with, but also it's, there's a lot of graveyards, soggy, wet graves. That's that's definitely disgusting. Um, so, uh, so uh, obviously the ice melting sea levels rise that does a lot of damage to cities. Um, Miami also has a lot of problems with flooding where they're talking about in 20 years or whatever, there's going to be parts of the city that you just can't build and like, like that are going to have to shut down. Hey, my sister in her backyard, uh, she's like every couple of months, she's sending me like a photo and a video of her backyard. She's got a pool in the backyard. She's got a pool house, a jo- big pool house that is turned into a guest house at like she Airbnbs and stuff. And there, there will be like, it'll be like, like this deep in water out like above the pool so the pool is just brown and just it's it's eight ten inches above the pool level 
with the water in the backyard. It's it's wild, and it rains a lot. She's more. in Miami. She's in Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. So, um, but I mean, it's fair. Those are very very close cities. Um, I want to get into CO two emissions and kind of what's responsible for that. Also, um, this because I, I really want to get into what's causing the extreme weather. And what I learned is that the warmer the earth is, the more evaporation there is, and the more that the atmosphere, the more moisture the atmosphere can hold, the warmer it is. Yeah, that's all true. That's all true. But obviously, that's going to, you know, when it when we do have storms, there's a lot more moisture coming from above well, in the atmosphere. And so I, I guarantee you that there's going to be people in Texas right now saying, how can global, global warming be real when it's 22 degrees in Houston? But the point is that that cold air had to come from somewhere. And that cold air came from Canada and the North Pole. And so one of the things that like climate change does is that kind of the normal air currents and the normal weather patterns, when the temperature changes, it disrupts a whole bunch of stuff. So this air that normally sits cold where it's supposed to, will get shifted sometimes where if if the steering currents of the jet stream breaks down well that so then now it has to come sinking down somewhere and it, and if you look there are parts in texas that were colder this week than alaska well that's a lot where that air came from so typically yeah. the cooler air sits on the top and the bottom of the earth right at the poles where it's cooler because it gets less sun and cold air is thicker and well not i don't know if you call it thicker but it it's heavier denser it's more dense than warm air and the colder the air is the more pressure there is between the warm air and the cool air and that's where we have the jet stream and it's a the um the colder the air is the more force there is in the jet stream however the warmer that air gets the jet stream gets weaker and isn't as tight think about a top spinning as that slows down or as there's less force there it gets a bit wonky mm -hmm. and that's where you can have you can break in the jet stream and you have a big burst of cold air that comes straight down into you know a place like texas or literally anywhere on the globe and you get these big bursts of this arctic northern air and that's exactly exactly what happened. It mixed with whatever moisture, and now it's snowing in Texas, and that's wild. But that's a direct result. Yes, it's colder there, but it's colder there because a place that was formerly colder got warmer. And this is a way of, I mean, effectively, it's it's Earth's way of evening it evening it out. So well, yeah. And the thing is, yeah, if you look at the global average temperatures over time there's an extremely clear trend and um it makes me think of a, a great quote from one of ken m's things of like where the news article ken m is a, a guy that posts deliberately stupid comments on news articles just to get people to respond um and there was a headline of something like 2016 earth's warmest year yet and his response was this is proof that, that global warming is a problem that eventually reverses itself. And the person says, well, how in the world does that work? He's like, well, every warm year makes the, the subsequent years cooler by comparison. Yeah. Um, I don't follow this guy. I've never heard. Of him. Uh, 
So look, so I want to get into CO2 emissions. Um, so there's, and I could be completely, I didn't do that much research, but basically humans are responsible for about 30 gigatons of CO2 emissions, which a gigaton is 2.204 hey. trillion pounds. So, a, and this is of a gas. So 2.204 trillion pounds, and we're responsible for 30 times that on an annual basis, which is an immense amount of CO2. And that has to do with basically fossil fuel burning. And I believe that has to do with like, I would. I, Deforestation is a big one. Defore, well, so here's the other thing is that the earth naturally produces like 780 gigatons of CO2 every year. And then the earth obviously is capable of absorbing quite a bit of the CO2, mm-hmm. which is equivalent to about 780 gigatons. Yeah, there's a, something of an equilibrium there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and but- so I think that's the, the real big point is that if you want to say, because you can look at the CO2 measured in parts per million, and you can look at the graphs there, and they're really clear. And you have to say, well, for the longest time, it stayed pretty much level. And then in the last 40 or 50 years, it goes level and it starts ticking higher and then it just shoots up. And you have to say, there's no way that for hundreds of years, it stayed the same. And it's just a weird fluke event that in the last 50 years, there's been a clear trend upwards. It's something that we are doing. Well, we know what we're doing. Get this, so we can measure the increase in carbon and what humans are responsible for because burning fossil fuels creates a different isotope of carbon than the naturally produced isotope of carbon. So that's why they can account for about 30 gigatons of carbon emissions by burning fossil fuels. And obviously the rest is a different isotope and they're able to measure that um, separately. Uh, so so look, so I, I looked up this thing called the Milan, Milankovitch. <laughs> the Milankovitch cycle. Have you ever heard of this? Not uh, being John Malkovich, but the Milankovitch cycle. Have you heard of that before? No. So the Milankovitch cycle is basically the theory as to why the earth has warmed and cooled in the past. Um, and any idea how the earth has warmed and cooled in the past? Um, it's the, the earth when it orbits the sun and the, kind of wobbles in its orbit in terms of how like the the earth's inclination to the sun over periods of i think it's like twenty two thousand years or so will change by a few degrees one way or the other where it's either more acute or more oblique and uh, yeah yeah exactly and am i right about the twenty two thousand years um i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure. i feel i think there's a couple different cycles that like all are on different scales and sometimes they line up but I feel like there's one that's like 10, another one that's 22, and another one that's like 43 or 45. Exactly. And-, and, that's, and that's exactly what you're talking about is the Milankovitch cycles. And, um, and, and, and that's it. And, you know, we, it's a theory, but it's kind of in line with what the data shows. 
And I didn't, I mean, our I, actual so, proximity to the sun has very little effect on, on, on the amount of energy that the earth absorbs from the sun, because our, our orbit is almost perfectly circular. So like the period during the year when the earth is slightly closer to the, to the sun really doesn't have any effect whatsoever on climate. It's all about the angle at which the sun hits the earth. So have you heard about the moons on Jupiter that they're saying may have water under the surface? Europa. Yeah, Europa. And they're saying there's water there. And obviously something way very far away from the sun isn't going to get solar heat. Tidal heating. Exactly. So as as this moon moves, is it Jupiter, moon of Jupiter, right? Yeah. So, so it, moon, moon of Jupiter, basically, as it orbits Jupiter, just like we have tidal forces from our moon on Earth, Earth is also affecting the moon, except you don't have tidal forces measurable by movement in water of tidal forces on the moon because there's no water on the moon. But, but you could, if you had fine enough instruments, you could measure the stress on the on the surface of the moon and see that the moon slightly deforms depending on its orbit around the Earth. Sure, but there's no liquid there, and liquid you can notice the tide on a beach. Oh well, yeah, it's way easy to measure liquid, whereas like you'd have to measure the slight flexing in the rock or whatever. It might be a centimeter over the course of like. But so yeah, with, with when Ganymede's orbiting Jupiter, first of all, it's way close. It's really close to Jupiter, and Jupiter's gravity is way stronger. And and if it's in a more eccentric orbit, when it goes around Jupiter and it gets close to Jupiter, it'll get pulled more on one side than the other. And then when it gets farther away from Jupiter, Jupiter, it'll even out and it'll go from more of an oval kind of a shape to more circular. And that flexing causes friction and heat. Exactly. Flexing and stress causes heat. Um, what, what's a good example of something that you can move around that will uh, that causes heat? Yeah, have you ever unscrewed like a, a screw out of something and it's it's in there really tight and you pull it out and you go to grab the screw and it's like just literally molten hot almost? No, well that happens. If you un so that's a really good one. If you unscrew a screw, it's very very hot, and that's because it's all this friction and stress on the metal inside the screw, friction from the wood and also stress on the metal. Um, all right, what else can we talk about in terms of global warming? Things like that. Um, and well, Dunberg. The question I, I think for most people is I, I think that everyone kind of, with the exception of the lunatics, everyone agrees that climate change is occurring. The question is how much is of it, how much of it is occurring? Like how bad is it really? Is, like if we project out and we say in 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, is it going to be one degree, two degree, four degrees? Or is it going to be two, four, six, eight? Is it going to be three, six, ten? How how quickly is it happening, and how quickly it will it continue to accelerate? That's question one. That gets a variety of different answers, and the question two is: if it happens, how bad will it actually be? What will the actual effects be? Yeah, let, be let me negative or not. So look, when you have, I think what's going to happen is you it, basically, and I, I never even thought about this. I'm just thinking out loud right now, but with talking. The, no shit. Uh, but with the, with the weaker jet stream, you have this colder air that can escape the Arctic. I think we're going to have a lot more basically events like what's going on in Texas and much more frequently. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a big thing. Um, it's happened a lot in the last 10 years. Yeah, so you have warm the, the polar places. vortex events 
were not really a thing until really the last decade. So you, you have a lot of colder events happening in warmer places, and then you have a lot of gradual warmth. I mean, it's not going to be 95 in Alaska or, you know, <laughs> on any of the poles, but gradual warmth is going to melt the ice that's up there. And you're not going to have extreme heat conditions because it's the it's basically cold air that travels, right? And then that the warm air is the warm areas are heated by the sun and the cold air goes to those areas. Mm, right? But the sun's not heating it. the places the sun's not shining on. Yeah. Well, I mean, air moves because of pressure differentials. Yeah, but and but what so, I'm saying is that the sun is is creating the warmth in certain areas, and then the pressure differential is moving the cold around. Yes, but the sun's not necessarily creating the warmth in all places. The other the other major source of heat is going to be bodies of water that retain heat. Okay, fair so, enough. And that's but that's another thing that is ocean temperatures. Oceans are rising. That's one thing. But the other thing we didn't talk about is the ocean temperature rising, which it also causes sea level rise in and of itself because expand thermal expansion, thermal expansion, and then also more evaporation, which contributes to more moisture in the air, which also contributes to bigger storms. Now, the the, the additional moisture in the air is kind of a wit. Uh, is not necessarily all bad because we haven't talked about albedo. Do you know what that means? No. So albedo means basically the reflectivity of something. Okay. So if you think about snow, snow has a really high albedo where the sun's rays hit it, but a lot of that is just reflected back up and it doesn't actually absorb a lot of the heat. And so if you have more moisture in the air, it means more clouds, and clouds are going to have a higher albedo than pretty much anything besides snow. So if you've got a lot of cloud cover, that'll reflect a lot of the sun's energy back out. So oh, okay. now it's, it's one of those ones where in a, a climate scientist will be able to answer this better than I do. Warmer air can hold more moisture and moisture by itself is a greenhouse. Like water vapor is a greenhouse gas. Water vapor retains heat and, and, and keeps heat in better than dry air. Um, so you've got one thing where wa more moist air creates more clouds and more albedo to reflect energy away, but at the same time, it also has an insulating effect on heat. So I, I don't know think, which effect is stronger. Well, I imagine it would be the insulating effect. That would also be convenient for kind of our discussion, but you, you do bring up a very good point uh, with the outward reflectiveness of the moisture in the air. So and one of the problems is like with um, like Greenland or whatever, which is covered in snow most of the year is um, when you have all these fires and stuff because of like if global warming causes more fires or whatever, that ash from the fires will then like land on Greenland and make the white snow black. And now the snow has something black sitting on top of it. That's absorbing the heat and melting down the snow. Hmm. I wonder how widespread and measurable that is i wouldn't imagine very much but i also oh, satellite imagery you, really? you you fly a satellite over greenland and you can measure how white the snow is 
and even a small difference over the over a large area even if it's just like two or three percent darker yeah two or three percent more energy absorbed over an entire continent is equal to millions of tons of water that melt instead of stay frozen dude remember how goofy ass looking raccoon suntans we used to get when we when we used to ski a lot mm. <laughs> with the goggle suntans i would intentionally not wear a hat and sometimes not wear goggles so i wouldn't get this goofy ass sunburn slash suntan well it's uh, really like a windburn it was also windburn yeah uh, which I still I, don't understand how it works. If I if I age prematurely, which I very I don't know I'm old as shit already. I feel like, um, but well, my, if my skin ages, that's I, I'm blaming the snow. Yeah, like not wearing a hat and not wearing a helmet when we were skiing was just so we could feel the wind in our hair. <laughs> not an option anymore. <laughs> but I'm not a big hat wearer. I don't know. I was never even back in the day. I wasn't a big hat wearer. So, um, all right, let's, I want to wrap it up a little bit and just, and just touch on a couple more global warming things. We talked about sea level rise. Um, let's, let's see. I mean, I think it's, we're going to have, and I think it's going to be in our lifetime, just some crazy, I was at Costco last night and I was, you know, I looked at these crab legs. Oh, also the derv said Anchorage hit 91 degrees in 2019. No way. Wow. Wow. Uh, I was at Costco last night and picking up a ton of stuff just in case we get snowed in over here we didn't know what the snow was going to happen um but also now that i have all this storage space like in new york city like you basically buy a day or two's worth of food or whatever you can carry home out in new jersey you basically buy as much shit as you can freeze and will still stay good and you can fit in the car but either way look i'm in the seafood section like, wow, these are some nice looking uh, crab legs. It was like $380 worth of crab legs. Uh, you know, they were giant crab legs. But then I'm like looking at the fish and I'm thinking about like where the fish comes from and overfishing. And I'm just like, there is just this constant supply, endless supply of fish, you know, being brought to these stores. It's just, and I'm, but what got me was the size of these crab legs was I'm like, how are crabs and lobster tails, giant lobster tails bigger than I've ever seen before. And I'm thinking, like, how are crabs and lobsters kind of going undetected under the fisheries uh, and being able to grow this large? And it wasn't, it was wild caught, um, you know, not farm raised. So, which there's a huge pushback on farm raised. I'm pretty sure the fact that they were in the store means that they weren't going undetected. Well, that's my point. But how did they get that big undetected? Right, like what, they're not just like coming up out of a hole in the ground and then boom, they get caught by the Costco fishing man. Um, you know, like these things had to. I just don't think, I don't think that's sustainable. Like the amount of there was so much fish in this place and big, big ass lobster tails, bigger than I've ever seen before. I've never seen lobster tails this big or in this quantity. And the uh, the crab legs were like my wrist all the way around they were huge crab legs so but I, I i don't know where where i was going with this was i think we're going to see some holes in the food chain that really affect the greater the greater food chain which is us and um and obviously when you have warming how, well let me ask you this james how does warming temperature affect uh, the the food chain kind of right down. Uh, what what are the little tiny things in the ocean called? 
plankton plankton and the phytoplankton or something krill yeah but how do they die with warmer temperatures i have no idea um i do know that global warming tends to increase the chance for algal blooms and those just have a way of sucking the oxygen out of the water entirely and killing everything so mm-hmm. um because those I think things that feed, and also they feed on oxygen just like any plant well every pretty much everything in the ocean relies on oxygen um and algal blooms suck all the oxygen out the other thing that with like global warming and everything that you hear a lot about and is true is that coral reefs are mm. a huge source of biodiversity and also sheltering for the areas in which they surround because they're kind of breakwaters that prevent large swells from reaching the actual shore and damaging things that are built on the shore and coral reefs are extremely sensitive to both chemical um, to the chemistry of the water, particularly the pH, and also the temperature. And so as the temperature rises, the water can actually absorb more carbon dioxide. And when carbon dioxide dissolves into water, you get carbonic acid. Now it's not a strong acid, and it's not a ton of CO2 that's getting dissolved into the water. But again, even just a small shift to something that's really sensitive is going to have a huge effect. So you, if you just Google the pictures of like coral reef bleachings and you see coral reefs that were super colorful, vibrant and alive with all sorts of crazy animals and stuff. And then you look a couple of years later and it looks like someone just boiled them. It's it. Well, you and I, we did some scuba diving uh, in Cancun. It was a fun time. Never been back since we went. (laughs) This is a shame. I hear there's, there's at least one hotel room open there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, but yeah, and I've done some in in DR in the Dominican Republic, but it's it's wild to see these coral reefs that are just it's actually if you see like James the colors that we like saw underwater were these crazy almost Orange like neon, and reds and blues and colors you don't see above water and wow. obviously they're they're affected because the light is traveling through the water. But you see these crazy, beautiful, just super incredible, almost imperceivable colors underwater. And then when you see a dead coral reef, it's, it's very depressing. It's very depressing. And I've done some snore. We, we were scuba diving. Like, how, how deep did we go? Like 40 feet or something? I think the last dive we did was like 60 or 70 feet. I just remember throwing up and then all these fish. <laughs> the pressure yeah, you, made, I, you made their day I, I certainly did yeah i should have grabbed one and cooked it for dinner um but yeah so coral reefs are super important for overall ecosystems and in terms of what the overall effect for global warming on food chains is is i think all species can adapt to changes in in climate and an environment, but it's a slow process. It's not something that you can just do over one or two generations. And so what we're doing is if we change the climate quick enough, then we're accidentally selecting for only the species that can adapt very quickly and losing a lot of the species that can't. So the overall effect is going to be a marked decrease in overall biodiversity because there's going to be a ton of species 
that if they had been given enough time, let's say that this global warming thing happened instead over a period of 100 or 150 years, happened over 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 years. Maybe more, but yeah. But I'm just throwing numbers out but, there. But, but hang on, just let me pause you on that. Like, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like a million to 5 million years. You're think, thinking like 500,000 years. We're talking like from the 70s until today. Right. Yeah. So the point is, small amount of time, big amount of time. We can argue about the definition of big, but we're still using the same word and agreeing that it's big. So if you give species more time, then yeah, they'd be able to adapt and either be able to migrate or kind of auto uh, self-select to have more resiliency to a given climate or environment. And when you make these changes so quickly that a species can't move or gets trapped because all of the biomes that it can live in all of a sudden evaporate around it. And maybe a biome somewhere else in the world does exist, but they never got a chance to go there. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have a ton of species that are not going to be able to adapt and just go extinct. And I think everyone agrees that it's not a good idea to have mass extinctions. No, because we like to eat those animals and that would be really a shame. Yeah, but the animals that we eat, are they're they're not going to go away because we're going to prop them up. No, yeah, they're obviously they're being farmed. Um, last thing before we before we sign off, um, somebody tweeted something about uh, synthetic beef today. Oh, it was Bill Gates. Bill Gates saying that everybody should be eating synthetic beef. What are your What are your thoughts on synthetic synthetic meats? That if they can make a product that is able to compete on both price and quality then Bill Gates is absolutely right. Why do we need to kill, raise animals just for the purpose of killing them, especially when raising animals is so much less efficient in terms of resources where the amount of energy that you have to put in in terms of water and grain and land space to raise a given quantity of meat can raise like 10 to 100 times that same amount of some other type of food be it grain or wheat or soy or whatever. So it's hugely inefficient to raise meat right now. And there's also the ethical issues of factory farming and the cruelty to animals and everything else. And if we can find a way of being able to synthetically recreate the taste, the texture, and the nutrition of meat without having to go through all of the things that factory farming requires, then we absolutely should. And it's just a matter of the technology and the scalability of production being able to ramp up to satisfy some material amount of demand. Let me let me explain this from my perspective as somebody who likes steak. James, you, you got a bit deeper on that. But the answer is, if you can't tell the difference, what the fuck do you care? Mm-hmm. Like if you can't tell the difference, if you can, if you can in a lab recreate Wagyu beef, which I'm not actually, I had Wagyu beef in, in Japan and I've had it here in New York, you know, I, I, it's not to my taste. Um, well, I want to, I want to step in with a comment from the Derv about um, like another effect. So he talks about um, like cold shock. So well, we have this gradual warming that this trend or whatever, so mm-hmm. species will naturally start to migrate to like if they were at, their climate, let's say latitude 30 mm-hmm. and now latitude 30 got too warm. So now they go up to latitude 35, which is more their climate. Yeah. Well, the problem with latitude 35 could be what we're seeing in Texas right now, where 
most of the year it's all right and it's it's the temperature they want but because of these extreme weather events you could have species that are used to a subtropical environment that never gets cold and now they move to an environment that is 99% subtropical and then you have three days of the year where it gets to be 22 and they all die so it's kind of like a bait and switch like hey come on for this warmer weather oh by the way three days of the year you're gonna freeze to death <laughs> that's true yeah and what are you gonna swim 600 miles 2,000 miles in those three days just to come back so it, it points to my case about the adaptability where like anything gradual the species would be able to get to but when you have these events that happen very quickly that they can't they, they just can't do anything about because it happens too quick yeah they're they're not us they don't have houses that they can go into and light a fire and gather around when they have no electricity oh, that's that's you know we're lucky because we have you know opposable thumbs and i don't know sentience but um and but flights you, to cancun and uh, hell yeah i was in cancun for my birthday i uh i got brought to tulum so i flew through cancun but that was a that was a very nice trip. Can, uh, Cancun is a very nice place. Definitely a party town. Tulum was. To, have we talked about this trip to Tulum? Yes, we have. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I know I interrupted you, so I want oh, to get back onto the topic. Uh, no, but uh, finishing my sentence. Tulum also a party town, but nothing like Cancun. Um, what I was saying about. Uh, meat that is non-organic right how how else would you describe this synthetic Synth just synthetic meat mm -hmm. you can't tell the difference one why do you give a fuck and two if they're making this in a lab and i mean if you eat a, an impossible burger or one of those fake burger patties you can tell the difference oh yeah it, they're, they're not terrible but you can tell the difference if you and like I'm down to try it. Like when the Impossible Burger came out, I'm like I love hamburgers. I'll have one. Definitely, you know, fries tasted the same. Burger did not. Uh, <laughs> Impossible fries. We're going with 100% plant-based potatoes. <laughs> French fries. Um, but the burger, yeah. I, the thing is, with the burger, you're like putting ketchup and mayonnaise, and and I get there probably wasn't bacon on it. Um, Defeats the purpose. Lettuce and tomato and onion. There's a bun. And yeah, it looks similar. And yeah, there's beet juice. So it turns red when you bite into it. It's all bullshit. It's not the same. It's not the same. But if you're going to create a steak that, remember, it, when you mass create something, it typically looks the same. When you have a cut of steak, it does not look the same. So you have to, you have to produce it to have some irregularities, inconsistencies, can't be perfect. There's got to be some that are more fatty than others. But, but that's all stuff that they can fine-tune in the lab. And think about it like this. What's your favorite cut of steak? I like a nice, fatty, Delmonico-style ribeye. Okay. I prefer like a filet or New York. I like the leaner cuts. But if I think about the best steak that I've ever had or whatever, so if you could find a way of being able to reproduce that in the lab every single time, and it requires effectively the same resources as any other cut of steak or whatever. Now you can just reproduce super high quality stuff. And to get the difference between a fatty ribeye versus a lean filet is really just going to be on like the input side of like 
how much fat do we put into this and how much protein or whatever. And you can mm -hmm. just play with the ratios and then you'd have molds or whatever that you can even like make it so that you've got the irregularities that you're looking for, but they're going to be the same irregularities every single one. But unless you're having that same meal every single day, you're going to be like, Oh man, the second forkful is just like the second forkful I had last night. But, um, no, but so look, I, I don't, I, I love GMO food. I love GMO food. People don't, we, we could do a whole episode on GMO. That fact that people don't, people are afraid of GMO. Literally everything you eat right now is GMO, whether it's labeled GMO or not. If, if Let's you, come back to that because I think it's a, it's a really interesting topic. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a solid topic, but I'm not afraid of GMO, but also I hate organic. I want like as much like hormones <laughs> injected into my shit uh, as possible. That's a dumb comment. I, 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 you know, I'll dig deep into that another time. There, there's but, other ethical arguments about organic foods and like kind of whitewashing organic foods and everything like that. It's saying that you just want like all the hormones in, into it and you want, you want to roided out cow. Like, that's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah. yeah there's some issues there. But, but, um, but I mean, I, I am probably the least resistant person to change when it comes to different types of food and technology involved in food. However, if it, I'm also, I'm not a connoisseur, but if it, it if it doesn't taste good, I'm not going to eat it. Well, right. And that's, that's what I said is that lab grown meat has to clear three major barriers. Okay. And I haven't tried any of them yet. So I can't say if they've cleared any of these yet. I, well, I can say for almost sure that they haven't cleared two of them. I mean, this isn't Morningstar Farms. This is 2020. 2020. Right. But so the first barrier that it needs to cross is price. Okay. Uh, 10 years ago, a pound of lab grown meat would have cost like 10,000 bucks. Yeah. I think they've gotten it down to somewhere between 20 and $50. That's progress. But it's still, are you going to pay $20 a pound for your burgers? Probably not. I don't know how much burgers cost. Um, right now in, in South Carolina, I can get burger meat for between four and six dollars a pound. You know, they interview politicians and are like, How much do you think a gallon of milk costs? And he's like, I don't know, $17. Right. Yeah. That's me. I have no All idea. right. So the first barrier is cost. Right now it's come down considerably, but if you're looking at three to four times the price of lab grown meat versus conventional meat, the vast majority of people are going to take conventional meat because it's way cheaper. So cost is the first one. Cost. Second is the availability of it. And that's just a, a production issue where it's still kind of in the experimental phases. So it hasn't been scaled up to commercial viability. And that kind of ties in with cost as well. But right now, if I wanted to buy lab grown meat outside of like searching for it on the internet and placing a special order, I would yeah. have no idea. No, I, I would you're not going I to find it in any store. What are the, what are the South Carolina, uh, what are the Charleston grocery stores, Publix, key food, lion, Publix, food, or something? food, lion, Publix, Harris Teeter, um, Piggly Wiggly doesn't really exist anymore. Oh, and um, no. And then Bilo, which has gotten taken over by like either Harris Teeter or some company called Lowe's. And then they, we've also got like an Aldi down here. But um, whatever the case is, your three, right. so your three carriers. Availability, price. And then the last one is taste, where it doesn't matter how cheap you make it and how available you make it. If it tastes like garbage, people aren't going to buy it. And so I can't speak on the taste part because I've never tried it, but I can speak on the availability and the price thing. And both of those still have a ways to go. Yeah. I, well, I, but I, I think we're actually, I think we're going to get there quick. And I, I hope we do. 
I'm because there's it. no argument against it. When you give me an electric car that drives like a manual transmission, uh, I believe car. Aston Martin's working on one. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very curious. So, but let's uh, let's wrap up. This is episode 78. So I love the fact that we're just cruising along with these episodes. I like this episode. Um, I love getting into kind of controversial topics and just kind of topics where we can get a little bit of depth, even though obviously we're not the people to talk on it. But I like where we can get a little depth. Quick uh, wrap up. Um, any comments that we should address? Uh, I missed a lot of the comments. And now that we got this weird thing, I can't actually watch all the comments. If you guys are watching us live, uh, first off, if you're, if you're listening to us post-production on YouTube, uh, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you, you, you guys, we owe you. Thank you very much. Uh, if you're watching us live, we also owe you guys. But tonight, unfortunately, we're trying out a new platform. So we're very delayed on the comments and we can't see everything. So um, DM me. Let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know your thoughts on this episode. And uh, pretty soon, we're going to open a call-in feature, which James and I have talked about very briefly. But I think that's going to be a really, really cool thing to do is to bring some of you guys on audio. And I, I mean, we're going to talk, you know, we went into SIP Talk talking about real estate. And now we talk about um, global warming, uh, politics, a lot of politics, relationships, pet peeves. Drugs. We don't talk that much about drugs. We should talk more Only about when you're complaining about the homeless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with the fucking shared needles. Uh, either way, uh, this concludes the episode. Thank you guys for joining. James, I'll catch up with you soon. Everybody live. I don't actually know how we're going to end this one, so uh, cross your fingers for a smooth close. See you later, guys. Adios. Cheers. All right, that concludes this episode of Sip Talk. I would like to share with you as you're listening or maybe watching, I do smell very nice. But fortunately, you can't smell me. So I will catch you guys in the next one. Thank you as always for subscribing, liking the podcast. And uh, if you are out there sharing it, I owe you big time. Thank you for that. See you guys soon. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.